Okay, Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 31 is our text, so have your Bibles there and be ready. I was struggling with the title of the message tonight. Um, Don't know if any of you have ever struggled with putting a title on something, um, especially with the passage that we're going to read tonight, but I'll just give you both titles. How about that? Okay. So, so the first one was, especially because of how this passage ends, with the blind men um, receiving sight, uh, I was just going to title it from the song Amazing Grace, which we'll talk about later and we'll sing at the end of, of, of the, the lesson tonight, um, just simply titling it, I once was blind, but now I see. But then I was struggling also to, to give it another title, and so I, I did, I, I jotted it down. Um, I also wrote, Behold the Pity and Power of King Jesus. Because tonight, uh, guys, it is, a, it is a very precious, tender passage tonight. And I, I hope that we, uh, by his spirit, by his grace, receive it. And um, that we see clearly who he is, afresh and anew, and what he has done. Have you ever felt like you were doing something important and someone was bothering you? <laughs> Maybe you were playing a video game and someone says they need your help with something. Uh, maybe you're watching a live sports sporting event and, and someone is yelling for your attention in the other room. Maybe you're reading or doing whatever hobby you love and someone just keeps asking you questions or just wants a little bit more of your time or truly needs your help with something. Have you ever been in that situation? Yeah, I think we all have. Um, you know, sometimes we, we feel we have important stuff to do and we don't have time for other people. Well, to no surprise, Jesus was always doing something truly important, even if it was a casual evening with the disciples. He was always, nonetheless, about his father's business. And even the interruptions were all a part of his father's perfect plan. And he was never filled with irritation when he was interrupted, but always filled with compassion for the lost and dying people that were around him. Tonight, we find ourselves nestled in the middle of this busy chapter where Jesus is interrupted in the middle of his teaching in order to heal several people. So this is action-packed, okay, guys? It's action-packed with Jesus raising the dead, instantly stopping internal, internal bleeding, and giving sight to blind men. Don't know if you've noticed this, but Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9, just gushing forth with miracle after healing, after casting demons out constantly. Let's read our text tonight. Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 31. While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. 
And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, if only I touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once, the woman was made well. When Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, he said, leave, for the girl has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. This news spread throughout all the land. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all the land. Did you notice that there's a lot of faith in Jesus going on in this passage? And this is how it looks packed in this section. Did you notice? Death, faith, touch life. Bleeding, faith, touch healing. Blindness, faith, touch sight. Did you see that? There's a pattern and there's a rhythm going on here, and rightfully so, because the king has been doing much in Capernaum and Galilee. He's been dishing out his compassion and proclaiming the good news of his kingdom. What's the theme of Matthew? Jesus is king. And that brings us to our theme tonight for this passage, how the compassion of the king grants the faith we need to be saved. The ultimate healing for sinful human beings is my type 1 diabetes. You should be saying, no, no, that's wrong. You're wrong. It's to be to heal your headaches. No. Okay, there you go. Now we're speaking. Talk to me now. The ultimate healing for sinful human beings is the forgiveness of our sins. Please. I'm going to pound that drum tonight for the next few minutes, okay? Just to remind us. Our ultimate healing, our ultimate need is to be made right with God. Why? Romans 5 says we're enemies with God. Our ultimate need is to be cleansed of all of our iniquities, to be brought from spiritual death to true life in Christ, because it's by his wounds, by his wounds, that we're truly healed. So that brings us to point one tonight. Point one, the dead girl. Not a very exciting first point, but this is our first point. Because we want to truly see that she was dead. Now, at the same time, we have to notice another main character. And this main character here is Jairus. Okay, this ruler of the synagogue, this official is Jairus. We know this from Mark and Luke's account. He was an important man, one whom the people all around would know. He was in charge of the elders in the synagogue who would arrange the services and take care of of anything that would go on in the synagogue. Much like how how Mr. Brenner and Mr. Alejandro 
Seth, they, they know what, what is to be allowed to, to go on here and on the premise when we are here. He was in charge. Jairus, this, this official of the synagogue, was in charge. Now, a synagogue, or as one of my uh, children would call it, a synagogue, okay, synagogue, um, that's just a, a family thing. She, she wouldn't mind that I, that I gave that away. But it's not, it's not pronounced that way. It's synagogue, okay? So a synagogue is where people would gather together to worship and hear instruction in that place. Rabbis would teach from the law of God there. Now, this official, Jairus, would know that you don't interrupt someone while teaching in the synagogue, okay? Especially from God's word. But here is this man, Jairus. This official, who is not just a ruler of the synagogue, but now we see here that he's a desperate father who interrupts Jesus while teaching his disciples. How so? He falls and bows before Jesus in the midst of the twelve and begs Jesus to lay his hand on his dead daughter. This is humble desperation. And what is, come and lay your hands. What, what, what has he known before? What has he seen before? You know, look, at how, look at how confidently Jairus, this, this, this official, says, says this. What does the text say? It says, lay your hand on her and she will live. <laughs> Whoa. But why would this synagogue official come and so confidently implore Jesus to do such a miracle? Well, not only has an explosion of news spread across the land concerning who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's been doing, but Luke 4 tells us that Jesus had cast out a demon-possessed man in Jairus' synagogue perhaps weeks prior. So he has already been, Jairus, this official, has already been a witness to the power and compassion of Jesus. But even still, Okay, He was probably one of the very proud Jewish leaders who despised and hated Jesus. And he would have been glad to see Jesus eliminated. And no doubt, up until this point, he had to have tried every kind of doctor, every kind of cure, and only in sheer desperation as his last resort did he come to Jesus at all. So Jairus did not necessarily come to Jesus out of an overflow of the love of his heart? He came to Jesus because he had tried everything and everyone else and because there was nowhere else to go. There's a lesson here. There's a lesson here for us. Whether your motives are right or wrong, you think, oh, you have to have the perfect motives in coming to Jesus. You have to, whether you have a softened heart or just because no one else or nothing else has worked? Here's the point. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. I want to ask you, have you come to him for your greatest need, which is salvation? Or have you caught on to the, all the false teaching that's out there that says, come to Jesus for this, 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 and this, and salvation and holiness and repentance of sin is left out. Jairus 
has come to him in behalf of his 12-year-old daughter. And verse 19 of our text tonight says that Jesus stopped what he was doing and with his disciples followed Jairus to his home. But in pursuit to heal this little girl, did you notice? Something happens in the midst of the crowded streets, which brings us to the next point, the bleeding woman. So there's a pause on this story of Jairus' daughter. And it brings us to point two, the bleeding woman in verses 20 and 22. We see desperation here as well, really a, a desperate faith. This woman has been suffering from this internal bleeding, this, this hemorrhaging for 12 years. It's the same amount of time as, um, as old as this, this little girl was. And according to Leviticus 15, to be one who hemorrhages, internal bleeding is to be unclean and therefore an outcast. You would often, if you had this condition, you'd be basically disowned by family and all. And this, this would also mean she would have no access to the synagogue or temple worship. And so what does this poor, lowly outcast of a woman do as the crowds are pressing in. You see what, you see what verse 21 says? What she does in her desperation, in the, the little bit of faith that she has? See what verse 21 says? She talks to herself. <laughs> you ever talk to yourself? And what, what does she say? If I only touch his garment, I will get well. <laughs> if I only touch his garment, I will get well. Her belief is stirring. Her faith is rising up. Indeed, she has also heard of the promised one who has come, perhaps even from a text like Isaiah 61.1. The Lord has come to bring good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort all who mourn. And so how does Mark record this account? After reaching out and touching just the edge of the tassel of his coat, Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. <laughs> Instantly. Instantly. It's funny what Mark and Luke record also, where Jesus says, says somebody touch me? And, and the disciples say, what do you mean somebody touch you, Jesus? The crowds are pressing. Everybody's touching you. He felt the power go out from him. And you know what's really cool about the language here about getting healed or getting well? It's actually the same word that's used in reference to true salvation. It's the same word that's used elsewhere in regards to salvation from sin. So this text indicates that she was probably not only physically healed, but spiritually healed, which is the greater power, the greater healing, which only the God-man can give. And so after Jesus had perceived that power from him had gone forth to her, she was actually startled and trembling because she, know, she knows she's been healed. It was like, <gasps> it actually worked. Not that I had really any doubt, but it worked. <sighs> she knows she's been healed. And Jesus turns to her and says, this is so precious. Turns to her. Daughter, take courage. Your faith has saved you. Now listen carefully, dear students of the word tonight. 
There is no power in faith itself. Okay? There's no power in blind faith. Blind faith is not the faith of Scripture. There is power only in the object of that saving faith, which is Christ alone. It is the object of that faith that matters. And he alone gifts to you the faith that you need to believe. Faith is not something you muster up and create to accomplish what you want, like so many false teachers out there today are doing. It's based on God and his testimony and his word that there is true faith. Now, faith, I think you all know this, right? Faith is a gift from who? From God, right? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that, both the grace and the faith, is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God so that no one may boast. What humility of the all-powerful, compassionate Jesus here. In ter- daughter, take courage. Your, your faith has saved you. Now, let me ask you this real quickly tonight. Is it her faith? Be careful how you answer. This is not a trick question. Is it her faith? Yeah, it, it is. But let me ask you this. Who drew her to himself? Who drew her to himself? What? God did. In the midst of her seeking the cure for her problem, and that's how God exactly uses it in our lives as well, he did. The Father draws us to salvation through his Son, John 6, 44. It is the sovereign, gracious drawing us to himself. Let me ask you this. Is your salvation your salvation? Yes, no, yes, no. Okay, let me ask you this. Who saved you? God. (laughs) Right, he did. So it's really his salvation. So when you give the testimony of like your salvation, I don't know, words can be tricky sometimes, but, but it's his salvation. He did it. He does the saving through the means which he provides, which is faith. He provides it. Is your faith your faith? Yes, right? It it is. But who has brought you from death to life in order for you to believe by faith? Who? Who? Him? Yes. God is the one. God is the one. God's done it. And so, at once, the woman was saved made well, physically and eternally made well at the end of verse 22. Can you imagine her rejoicing in what the king has done for her? Healed, forgiven, cleansed. Not only, it's not only well with her body, it's it's, it's well with with her soul. Question, is it well with your soul tonight? Is it well? Have you, in a sense, in response to what you know of the Savior, reached out to touch just the edge of the coat of Jesus to be healed? Not caring about what anybody else thinks? Listen, he will not turn away a humble, broken heart. 
He will not. He will not. And this brings us to point three, the risen girl. So with that little pause, this little quick healing of this woman with internal bleeding, they're still on their way to the dead little girl following Jairus. So that brings us to the risen girl, verses 23 to 26. When, when Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, we see. In verse 23 here, these are professional mourners. And, and what professional mourners? They would do three main things, okay? Number one, and this, they would all be paid for all these things, okay? Wailing for the dead. Okay, and most of the time, these were women who were hired to wail and chant the dead person's name and the names even of their relatives who had recently died. Okay, it's a chanting and it's a wailing. They are paid to do this. Number two, they would also rend their garments, tear their garments, tear their clothes, large enough for their fist to enter just over the area of their heart. And they would keep it torn for seven days and then slowly stitch it up over the next 30 days, and then once that month was over, it would be healed up, and as people saw them going throughout the towns, it would be a reminder of that person's death. Number three, they were also paid for music, lamenting, mournful-sounding, minor-sounding music, and most of the time, it would be with a flute. This culture associated uh, this instrument and this kind of music with death. And so they were also paid to play music fitting for the grieving process of the death of a loved one. Yes, question, comment. Um, Why exactly would they like wail a person's name? Was Mm -hmm. that some kind of ritual-like thing? Yeah. Yep. It's what they were paid to do. It was. It was a. It was a recognition. It it was. It was a sense of honor, as well, in and for that that family. Yeah. So this is what they're doing. This is all that's going on. I mean, can you imagine this? In this small home entering in, Jesus and Jairus come into the middle of this noisy disorder as his daughter lies there dead, unresponsive to the chaos that's going on. And Jesus in verse 24 says, leave. (laughs) The girl has not died. She's asleep. Now, this is, this is a sweet, soft term which Jesus and Paul use all throughout the New Testament for the death of a believer. Ah, they're, they're only asleep. They're just asleep. It's also a way in which Jesus prophesies that this person will rise on my command, just like he did with Lazarus, using the same term. Oh, and how did the household of mourners respond How'd they respond? Yeah. They mocked him. Oh, they mocked him. They laughed. They laughed. But then what does Jesus do? Here's the preciousness again. Verse 25. He took her by the hand. And in Mark's account, Talitha kum, little girl, I say to you, get up. She immediately got up and they were astounded. And then you know what Mark records that Jesus said? This is what he said when she got up. Give her something to eat. 
Wow! The detail, the care, the love, the compassion of your King, of Jesus, your Savior. This is our God. And so obviously this news would have spread throughout all the land, wouldn't it have? And if this isn't enough for one day of preaching, teaching, and miracles, how about we heal a couple of blind men as we depart this person's home? Do you see how rapid and how fast-paced it's going? Joy. Yeah. Do we know if um, his daughter was um, in heaven? At that moment? Like when she was dead? That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> that is nowhere in scripture. Um, <laughs> you, you'll have to ask. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> you'll have to ask um, uh, Mr. Karen about that afterwards. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so moving on. Number four, the blind men. Verses 27 to 31. You know, blindness was a distressingly common disease in Palestine. It came partly from the glare of the sun on unprotected eyes, and partly because people knew nothing of the importance of cleanliness and hygiene. Uh, in particular, the clouds of unclean swarms of, of flies carried tons of infections that would often lead to the loss of sight. And so here are two blind men who have also caught wind of the compassion and miracles of Jesus. And they are found here crying out to Jesus now that he is on his way from raising the dead with a touch and with the word. But what are they shouting? Have mercy on us, son of David. Interesting. Now again, these people, these blind men, obviously they know their Old Testament scriptures. Have mercy on us, son of David. Son of David. This is the most often used term to refer to the Messiah, the anointed promised one who would come to save his chosen people, Israel. Perhaps they heard scriptures like this as they passed by the synagogue. And there's tons of these in Isaiah, okay? Isaiah 11.1. 1. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Who is, who is Jesse? Who is Jesse? David's father, David's father, through whose line the messianic king would come. Here's another one in Isaiah 35, 5. Huh, perhaps he knew this passage. Perhaps he heard these two blind men heard this coming by the synagogue a few times. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. What's the theme of Isaiah? Salvation. 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 So these blind men are crying out for mercy. Don't give me what I deserve. Lord, Lord, relieve, have pity. They're crying out to mercy, for mercy to the only one who can give mercy. And in response to Jesus' question to them, and this question, please, it's not just testing their faith, but he's deepening their faith. He asked them this question. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? <laughs> Do you think Jesus knows the answer to that question? Yeah, he knows. What is their reply? What are the blind men's reply after crying out for mercy to the Lord? He says, will you do this? Are you able to do this? What do they say? Yes. Yes, Lord. 
They are acknowledging he is the owner, the ruler. He is the one who has the authority and power over everything in the universe, including all 180 million light-sensitive cells in their eyeballs. Then what does Jesus do? He touches their eyes. (laughs) Another touching, right? Now, many healings were done simply by his words, but when you tally up, All that we have in the Gospels, most of the time, his touch is involved. Think even of the healing of the lepers as well. And by the way, if you would touch a leper, that would make you what? Unclean. And Jesus, Jesus did that. And speaking of so many miracles and healings, some of them were simply physically healed. Some of them were spiritually healed. Remember the, remember the 10 lepers that, that, he, that he healed? And only one came back and thanked him? And he said, where are the other nine? He's, he's constantly touching and healing. And, and so much so that even Mark chapter 6, verse 2, says that the people would say, how are such mighty works done by his hands? So after he touches these two blind men's eyes, he says, let it be done to you according to your faith. And then what happens? Their eyes were opened. But here we go again, back to faith. Who opened? They had faith. They were crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. You believe I can do this? Yes, I believe. But who opened their eyes? Did they open their eyes? Who did it? Who opened their eyes? Thank you. Oh, the pity and power of Jesus. Who granted them the faith to believe and to even cry out for mercy? Jesus. Thank you. Jesus did. That's right. God did. Romans 2.4, God's kindness and patience leads you to the faith you need, which is to repent of sin and turn to the Savior to receive spiritual sight. So as Jesus, with his all-knowing compassion, asked them, do you believe I am able to do this? I ask you guys the same question tonight. Do you believe? Do you believe he is able to save you? To give you the sight you need, both for salvation and for you to be able to grow in Christ and in the truth. We have to truly ask this question tonight. Why? Because I would, ask, I would go so far as to ask this question. Would you rather have all of your bones broken and the worst disease in the world? Or would you rather have the forgiveness of God for all of your sins? Which one? Because the one you need most is his forgiveness. And that forgiveness comes through Christ alone. That mercy comes through Christ alone. Jesus alone gives sight to souls that are blind to their own blindness. And that's what you and I were before Christ. You were not only blind, you were blind to your own blindness. 
He gives sight to blind souls by the power of his grace alone, gifting us the saving faith we need to believe. And now now that Jesus' miraculous mercy has been given to see, he warns these two men strongly. No one is to know about this, Jesus says. And by the way, this isn't the first time. He says this over and over again. Several times he had to move his ministry from the city to desert areas because all the people wanted was a temporal prince. All they wanted was the, 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 the food, the, the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. They didn't want him. He knows the heart of man. He knows that man wants public miracles instead of his public message of salvation. But these men, I love it, but these men can't help but disobey and tell of the power and compassion of Jesus. Can you blame them? Can you blame them? So what about you? The compassion of King Jesus grants the faith to be healed. For you and I to be healed of our sin sickness. And with this being the greatest news of healing, Jesus doesn't tell us to make sure nobody knows about this, but the opposite, the Great Commission, tells us to go and tell of Jesus Christ. And notice in the Great Commission, he didn't have physical healing listed there. Go and proclaim the good news. And here's the good news. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Why? So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Why? For by his wounds, you were healed. There's your true healing. Believers are healed spiritually from the deadly disease of sin deadly. Physical healing comes at glorification. That's when it all comes. In glory, in heaven. Listen, Jesus' first coming, all the physical healings that we see in Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9, gives to you and I not only proof that he is the son of David, that he is the Messiah, but it's also a foretaste. It's a glimpse of that future day when in heaven there will be no more sorrow, disease, Sickness, pain, or death. Glimpses of that. Glimpses of it. It was proof that he was God. And for the apostles, you'll see as you begin in chapter 10 in a few weeks here in Matthew chapter 10, he gives the same power to the apostles to perform these healings and cast out demons. It was all to authenticate Jesus is the Christ. He is God. He is the one you are to repent of your sins and believe in. Please don't leave this place tonight (laughs) thinking that you don't have a sin sickness. Please don't leave this place tonight. If you're not in Christ, thinking, I'm healthy. I've got eyes to see. I'm not dead on that bed. I don't have an internal bleeding. How do we respond? Really, just two brief things on, on, to help us respond to, to this text tonight. Number one, be in awe of Jesus. Be in awe of him. 
His tender compassion and love to enter the human realm, to leave the celestial air of heaven, the glory of the Father, and the, of the Spirit, and of all the hosts of angels, in his glory to leave and to come down to breathe the dust of earth, not only to heal by the power of his words, but to even touch in order to heal. From an unclean nobody woman in a crowd to a little girl to wandering blind men. Be freshly amazed, not only by these three historical truths of Jesus doing what he did tonight, but be struck by the fact that he would touch and heal you by his living word. That he would show his eternal mercy to undeserving people like you and I. Physical temporary, physical temporary mercy is one thing. Spiritual eternal mercy is quite another thing. So be in awe of Jesus. Number two, thank him. Thank him for healing you. Thank him for raising you from the dead. Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. But God who is rich in mercy made you alive in his son. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it's of him. Thank him for healing you, for giving you sight, for doing for yourself what you can't do for yourself. Listen, we live in a world where I do this, I earn this, I go to this job, I, get this, I can earn this, I can get this money, I can do, do, do. Great, wonderful, great. Thank him for doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. He's given you life, and he's given you life abundantly in his son. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, listen carefully as we wrap up our time. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, Genesis 1. Let light shine out of darkness. The one who said, who spoke, let light shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Thank him for ushering you out of the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light, into the kingdom of his son. Psalm 103. You talk to yourself, is that all? I know I talk to myself throughout the day. Here's how David talked to himself in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And forget none, none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. That's the crown you wear if you're in Christ. You wear a crown of King Jesus' loving kindness and compassion. Don't take sin lightly. If you take sin lightly, you're not beholding him as you ought. You got your gaze, you got your eyesight fixed on something else. 
That's why God ain't too awesome, ain't too cool for you. But the more you fix your eyes on him, the more sensitive you'll be to that sin which you should be killing or else that sin will be killing you. So thank him. Thank him for giving you true life. True sight. When you were, you were. If you're in Christ tonight, you were blind. You were blind to his glory and you were blind to your sin. I mentioned this gentleman before. John Newton. You know who John Newton was? He wrote the hymn, which we're going to sing right now. Amazing Grace. Can anyone tell me maybe briefly about John Newton, what his life was about, what he did? He was a slave. He was a what? Slave. Finish the sentence. He was Traitor. a slave. Traitor. Traitor. Wicked. Cruel man. Evil. Like you and I. And he started to lose his eyesight at the end of his life. And he started to lose his memory. And he was losing, he couldn't remember his name. He couldn't remember anything of what his occupation used to be, being a slave trader and all. He couldn't even really remember his salvation. But when one gentleman asked him, John, do you remember anything? Can you remember anything? And you know what one of his, his dying words were? This is what I remember. I am a great sinner. But I have a great Savior. Is that your testimony tonight? I pray so. The compassion of the King gifts to us the faith and mercy we need to see our sin and to see him in all of his glory and grace, which is amazing. Have you cried out for it? Cry out for it. Confess your sins, forsake it. Turn to him. He says, come to me. I will not cast you out. So let's stand together. Let's sing of his amazing grace.
ransomed me and like a flood his mercy reigns unending love amazing Father, thank you for such grace. For those who are blind tonight, Lord, give sight. And for those who are in Christ, Lord, may we be in awe of you and be found thanking you and walking in joyful, grace-motivated obedience because of who you are and all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Chris.